you protect what you love. Hunting is a life, not a lifestyle, it's a life. This is Hunters to show people how great of a job we're doing for conservation, providing for ourselves all the things you and I understand. I think you kind of owe it to the animal that you're hunting to be as prepared as possible. You know, as I get older, I appreciate the laughs and the time and the experience. Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast. This is... I like, I like this one because we're all, I know me and Jordan are talking about a topic that we're really excited about, and we're talking with somebody that knows a lot about it. So we are in West Point, Mississippi, at the Mossy Oak headquarters, talking to Mr. Bill Gibson, the kennel master of Mossy Oak Kennels. Um, and so I know me and Jordan, Mr. Bill, have a lot of personal interest in this because we both have dogs that came from your kennel. And uh, so before we even jump into it, kind of tell me where your background in dog training came from and where Mossy Oak Kennels were the idea for it, even how it even came about? Oh, I've been training dogs now most of my life. Probably not at the same level I train today, but, mm-hmm. you know, I go back to uh, well, my high school days and then mm-hmm. after I got out of the military and going to college, I had labs all that time. Right. And so I've been training quite a long time here and there some years I wouldn't train some years I would just whenever I needed a dog I would train my own dog mm-hmm. right and uh, back in 1999 I was assistant police chief in Tupelo and a friend of mine was police chief over in Oxford and he opened a kennel and I went over and trained with him and I started meeting uh, a lot of professional trainers from mm-hmm. England and Ireland and I studied what they were doing and observed and they pushed me along and so I adopted a new method of training I adopted the English what I call the English method of training right which is uh, a low force method as compared to what most people use these days e-collars and, mm-hmm. and other methods I just use low force mm-hmm. right. uh, that's cool to me because I had never heard of that before I started talking about the bill and I every time I'd ever been around anybody they always had a e collar or whatever and I didn't know any other way of training a dog. It's always interesting to me the way he'd done it. Yeah, so. I'd never like you said, most people do that the, the not the low force way these days because I hadn't heard of it until Jordan told me about it before yeah, I'd got until my y'all started coming up here. Right, yes sir. Yep. And, and there's a lot of folks now that train using uh low force methods mm-hmm. and low pressure methods. It's basically a reward-based system where you reward the dog for doing well. And if it does bad, you can correct it, but you don't correct it in a harsh manner. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it, it pays dividends in the long run. Yeah. My, my experience was from the old days that if you trained on a collar, you ended up with two dogs, one on the collar and one off the collar. Right. And, and the dog is basically doing what it's told to do because it's forced to do that right where the method i use the dog is doing what it's trained to do but it's not forced to do that so that's why i like the low force method it, it the dog does it because the dog wants to do it and not because he's forced to do it right what's well, kind of i know everything has pros and cons to it what uh what's some pros to the low force way and cons to it just so people know does it take longer? Or? The low force method takes longer. It does. I thought so. Yeah. It takes and sometimes a good deal longer. It just depends on the dog. Mm-hmm. If the dog is really sharp, and nah, about the same. But uh, 
you're gonna you're gonna find very very few times that that low force ends up with the same level of dog in the in the same time frames as a aversive method. Right. right. So you got to learn kind of the patience game more than more so than the takes here, a lot of patience. Here now, I want it now. Here yeah. it goes. You know. And yeah. I have nothing against people that train with e-collars. That's the way they train. That's the way right. they train. That's just the way. Just, but, yeah. It's just another method. And uh, right. if that's if that's the way they want to train, that's fine. The way I train, as far as I'm concerned, is fine. Right. You know, we're on equal grounds. We're both training dogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I have been curious about knowing is when a dog doesn't do what you want it to do in a low-force manner, how do you correct it? Like, we were just talking earlier, like my dog Delta, sometimes you put her on a longer line, you know, 7,500 yards, she'll get out there 50 or 60 yards and doesn't go. How do you correct that? Yeah. Well, you have to know what's causing the problem to start with. Mm-hmm. And most of the time what causes the problem is, uh, is one word for it, thresholding. They reach a threshold and they won't go beyond that threshold. What causes a threshold is... You or me or anybody else that throws a dummy, and every time we throw it, we can reach a maximum distance of 40 yards. Mm-hmm. Right. Send the dog on a 40-yard tree. If we do it over and over and over again, the dog's going to go to a 40-yard threshold. Then it's going to stop and start looking around and hunting and ultimately come back to you without the dummy. It's just not going past that point. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is use a launcher to get a further launch or use a bird boy standing out further to throw the dummy for you. Any method that will get that dummy out past 40 yeah. yards, you want to work 40, 60, 80, 100, 110, maybe come back to 40 again. You don't want to do the same thing over and over and over again and bore the dog. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I'm, I'm, is that a fairly common problem that you see? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that because especially if you just have, you know, like, because had I not heard this, you know, because I get, you know, we're one thing I think like we need to have, like you have your dog named Delta. Delta how old is Delta now? She's a year and a half, about and, 18 months. And I just picked up my dog from here, Knox, and he's 10 weeks old. Yeah. So, we're, you know, I'm going through this kind of stuff. And I could see myself doing that, you know, when he gets old and not knowing about the whole threshold deal. So that it puts me a step ahead. But I could see where that would be a common problem because you just you think you're doing good. You're just throwing him a dummy. But you don't think about what you're doing. So right. You, yeah, you, I, I had You don't sit down and analyze the problem. To see what kind of problem you're causing, and what you're causing is thresholding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that is is uh, where they go out, and they come to a path, they come to a color change in the grass, the height of the grass, or anything like that. That's a barrier, and they won't go through that barrier. So you have to teach them to go through barriers. Mm. The only thing they're genetically predisposed to do is retrieve. And right. bring you back. Right. So the rest you, of it has to be taught. Well, my dog Delta, she uh, she's a timid little dog. You've worked with her. I mean, she's very timid. A little bit of you get onto her a little bit, and it shuts her down. And that's one thing you run with. Her. And I've ran in with her is how do I correct it if I get onto her at all and try to correct it? She shuts down. That's a fairly common problem it's, at times too. Uh, the British dogs, as a general rule, are a little softer than the American dogs. See, I've always heard so, that. Yeah. And you can do it without a harsh correction. If she does something wrong, it may be something you're doing wrong and not something that she's doing mm-hmm. wrong. Because you may be pushing her beyond her capabilities at her age. Yeah. 
So if you push her beyond her capabilities, what you've got to do is not punish but back up. You might have to back up to 10 yards and start over and start going back out okay. longer and longer and longer. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's just a patience deal. Yeah. If I don't yes. have, my patience is very short. I'm like, why are you not doing this? You were doing it yesterday. Why aren't you doing it today? <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I run into that every day. Yeah. And and sometimes I think it's moon phase that has a tremendous really? effect on a dog. Yeah. yeah. Usually when you go to a full moon, I was in police work for 37 years, law enforcement work, and full moons off the worst out in people and i think it brings the worst out in dogs really? too that'd, uh, that'd make oh sense i can you believe it, America, it, we, it the way we hunt everything's around moon phase way you fish right. around moon phase dog activity is the same way i guess i, I mean it, uh, the moon phase affects every other animal why wouldn't it affect the yeah. dog yeah. i've never thought of it yeah. but one thing i have noticed is normally when one dog is messing up in training all i'm gonna mess up that day really really that's interesting and, and you might as well go back and just put them in the kennel and start over the next day. Huh. They may do everything wrong today and do everything perfect tomorrow. <laughs> I've ran yeah. into that. Like one day, this I'm like she she's gonna be something here in a couple <laughs> months. And the next day, you take her out. What in the world is, it? is this? My dog? <laughs> <laughs> Not the same one I had yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I run into that all the time too. That's very common. So I got. Uh, two questions on that one i want to revert back because we got i got i got sidetracked i never got i want to read before we get too far into it i never uh we never touched on how mossy oak kennels came about that's a that's a short story and a long story both. <laughs> <laughs> when uh i was a federal agent for 26 and a half years and i retired mm-hmm. and the city of tupelo taught me into taking the assistant police chief job in tupelo so I jumped over into that job for six and a half years, and the old mayor of West Point, Kenny Deal, and I grew up together in West Point. Right. He called me one day, and he said, hey, I want you to come down here and run my police department for me. He was mayor then. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, sound like a good idea to me. And when I moved down here, I had to buy a house right next door to Toxie Hayes. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had my labs, and I was training for other people, and Toxie was driving by seeing me out there training, and he came over one day and he said, hey, will you train my dogs? And I said, sure. Well, how much did it cost? And I said, well, I won't charge you anything. Just let me use the lake behind your house to train my dogs and leave your dogs in the kennel and I'll come over and get them out and train them as I train mine. No problem. So I trained about three dogs for him. And one day he says, you know what? We need to go in the dog business. So we jawboned on it a while and talked about it for a couple of years or so and uh, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I'll be 74 this year. I told him, if we don't hear him do something, I'm not going to make it to the dog training business. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we that's how Moss Hill Kennels got started. We yeah. uh, built the kennel and cleared the land put the, to the extent that it needed to be cleared. Right. And, uh, yeah. and just kicked off. Right. But there's, I mean, y'all put a lot of emphasis, I know, just from talking to you and, um, when I was getting ready to get my puppy, I know y'all put a lot of emphasis on uh, the breeding and, and you know, the, so did, where did all, like, where did all that come from? That just, that I was already doing that. I was already breeding puppies and selling puppies. Okay. But I wasn't breeding that many, maybe a, a litter a year. Gotcha. And then I would sell them to, to people around West Point and then it started spreading out and yeah. people calling me from other places. Right. Dogs and, right. On uh, so. on these labs, they are 
they're British labs, right? Well, I mean, British labs are smaller than Americans. I mean, kind of. As a general rule, yes. What What are the disadvantages and advantages of a British lab? Is there any difference as far as I know? Temperament's different, but the main difference between what they call an American lab, because all labs came from the UK at some point in time. Right. Right. But uh, the main difference is the training that they get in in the UK and Ireland versus the training here. Mm -hmm. Here, the field trials account for most of the training, and most of it is geared toward precision handling, where you send a dog out maybe 400 yards on a blind retrieve, and if it gets just a little bit off course, they stop the dog with the whistle and give it a corrective hand signal, and, you know, it's got to hit a certain place. Right. In England, they don't do that. In Ireland, they don't do that. Everything over there is more geared to hunting. They'll have flushers, and they'll have shooters, and they'll have pickers. Mm-hmm. And the the flushers work spaniels, either cocker spaniels or springer spaniels, and they flush the birds out over the shooters, right. and the shooters shoot the birds. Mm-hmm. And then they, once he shoots both barrels, he hands his gun to a loader, and they reload the gun for him, and he's, he's always got a loaded weapon. Right. And uh, after the shooting is over, they may have 250 birds on the ground. And mm. that's when the picking starts. And then picking simply means working the labs, going out picking mm-hmm. the birds up. Huh. Yeah. And then they, they hang the birds in a big trailer. Well, it's got uh, kind of like a closet, got a rod going through it, and they tie two birds to each tie and then hang them over that rod. Mm-hmm. But uh, so they train for nose. Mm-hmm. Right. In calmness, in steadiness, they don't want a dog that barks on the line because in a field trial, which is an actual hunt over there, they don't want the dog whining, they don't want the dog barking, they don't want him moving on the line. Stay right there until the judge tells you, okay, you can release your dog. Then you send your dog, the dog goes out, picks the bird up, and brings it back. And the dog has to depend on his nose because they're shooting in grass. Sometimes you can't even see the dog. Right. I guess they're in that Highlands country, isn't it? Yeah. It's well, it's all over. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what all the plants are over yeah, there. Yeah. Right. I've been over there and run some trials. I've been over there and uh, and picked, and I've been over there and shot pheasant and things like that. Mm-hmm. And when I'd go to buy a puppy to bring back to Mississippi, I would I would stay with my buddy over there, and we would uh, shoot a few birds, crows, uh, wood pigeon, pheasant. Mm-hmm. And then we would pick those, and then he he was picking at different estates over there, and I would go with him and then work one of his dogs. Okay, mm. that's so. a whole lot different than American field trials. Then. That's Very cool. different, yeah. yeah. So how do they determine what's a a winning dog or whatever how, on those type of field trials in England? They judge on style and drive, how much drive the dog has, uh-huh. which is directly related to style. If you've got a slow plotter, you know, that goes out walking and yeah, walks all that. the way back, you're probably not going to finish high up in the pecking order. I got you. But uh, there's really, to me, there's only one winner, and that's the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So you either come in first or you don't come in. Is that the dog that picks up the most birds, or how's it, how's it win? No, it's, just, it's the dog that put on the best show and found his birds. If he fails to pick a bird up, he can uh, either be eye-wiped by the next dog, which means the next dog goes out and finds mm-hmm. it and brings it back. He's out. Hmm. If he barks on the line, he's out. If he whines on the line, he's out. 
Hmm. If he moves on the line, he's out. They will allow for some readjustment, maybe six inches or so, so you can see around the handler when a bird's going down. Mm -hmm. But the whole time they're they're picking, they're shooting more birds. So that's it's nothing but a steady competition for a dog. There's yeah. birds flying everywhere. Yeah, and there may be, you know, maybe five birds on the ground, maybe more than that. But they'll tell you, yeah, I want that bird over there by that tree. Oh wow! Sheesh. And the dog's not supposed to deviate. He's uh -huh. not supposed to go over here and pick the bird by the other tree up. He's supposed to go to that bird. Yeah. Uh, and I know that that's something that I picked up on just through reading that uh, the puppy manual you gave me when I took him home. I know y'all focus on, y'all put a lot of emphasis on steadiness. Right. And how much of that comes in the dog just through genetics, just steadiness, and then how much of that is training that they get from their owner or from from you if they bring a dog well, it's, back it's a combination of genetics and training because uh -huh. if you don't train steadiness you're not going to have a steady dog right you have to constantly train in steadiness but the dogs are, are i think personally are predisposed to steadiness because of the way they're raised in in the uk right yeah. and the, the way they're bred in the uk they're bred for certain characteristics Mm -hmm. And if a dog does not meet those characteristics, he's not going to be bred. Gotcha. So you're, yeah, you're basically weaning out the undesirable genes. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. If you got a dog winding on the line, and it's won a couple of field trials and a field trial champion, he's probably not going to be bred much. Hmm. So over there, different from here. Here, you can just go sign up and you can run. Yeah. In a, in a right. Trial. Over there, you sign up and you have to be drawn. Huh. So you may not get but two or three runs a year. Interesting. Right. Is it just a random draw if you get drawn? Mm, random draw. Oh, Twelve wow. dogs or twenty-four dogs. So oh, it wow. Doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have the best dog out there. He may not get to run. That's right. He may not get drawn. Oh wow. So here's one question. Me and Jordan were talking about this on the way up here. Um, so again, talking about the difference between or talking about our two dogs. This is something that, like, just through and this is just an observation through seeing Delta at. At when she was, you know, a puppy and 10 weeks old and just seeing him in the few weeks I've had him, it seemed pretty obvious to me that they, those two dogs have very different personalities. Delta was a lot more, like, like Jordan said, low-key, laid back, and Knox has a lot more energy about him. How, how much does that dog's training differ? How, is, there, is, there, is there any from how you work with him? Not a whole lot, no. No. Uh, we we custom tailor our training to each dog mm -hmm. and by that i mean we look at the dog we evaluate the dog it's going to have its strong points it's going to have its weak points and then we customize our training scheme around those strong points and weak points mm -hmm. and put more em emphasis on the weak points than the strong points some are some are a lot faster than others some are slow and plotty mm -hmm. so with the slow one we want to we want to train to increase the speed the drive. And that's what right. I, like Delta, she is steady as they come hunting. But you send her, she's not the fastest dog. You know? Yeah, but she was always steady. Mm, she's really oh, yeah. steady. She's always really steady. Now, you may get another one that's not quite as steady. So instead of, of putting tremendous amount of effort on Delta to steady her up, mm -hmm. we just had to put a little bit of effort yeah, into she it. She came steady. Yeah. yeah. Where if your dog... 
it's not quite as steady, then we have to emphasize it more and more and use different right. training techniques mm-hmm. to, to bring steadiness into the forefront. Just to try to balance them out. So what are you, like, when you're talking the strong points, and we, what, are you, what, are the, what are the factors you're looking for, other, like other than steadiness and that kind of thing? What, what are you looking for? The main thing I look for in a pup is drive, because mm-hmm. I like a lot of drive in one. And I like a pup that's that's calm, mm-hmm. but still has a lot of drive. It has an on-off switch, off in the house, on in the field. Right. And and I like to see that in a pup. And the way I look at pups and evaluate pups is I look at them, and if their tail is up high and bent over, then they're they're beginning to become very dominant. The pup that's got his tail straight out is going to be kind of middle of the road, which I like to see. I really mm-hmm. like middle of the road pups. And the one that sticks his tail down between his legs is so submissive that you know you're going to have a little difficulty mm-hmm. down the road somewhere. Right. But a lot of times that's caused by not getting enough socialization at an early age. And I gave an example of the other day we had a little pup out of the litter and we were bathing them one at a time and drying them off good and had two or three of them in the front office. Two of them, tail straight out, one of them, one little female's tail tucked under. Hmm. So we put the other two up and kept her up in the office, and in an hour, her tail was straight out, and she was wagging and, and having a good time. Hmm. But she had been exposed to a place that she hadn't been into that much, the front office up huh. there. And she was kind of leery of everything in there. And so right. as she settled in, her personality changed. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've seen that with Delta. She's on the more submissive side. Mm-hmm. What do you do if you're on the opposite side of it? What if you got a puppy that, like you're saying, has a tail straight up all the time? What do you? You just have to go out to work with them and calm them down, keep them real calm as they grow, mm-hmm. and uh, don't hype them up. Right. Don't, don't hype them up. I mean, don't roughhouse with them. Yeah. Don't play tug of war with them. Don't right. do those things that can spin that dog up. Yeah. Now, would you do that with a submissive dog? Would you? Get try to get them more try excited. To, try to get them more excited. Okay. Correct. Yeah, because we we try to spin them up a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that one right there that's currently <coughs> sleeping in his kennel right behind us, he doesn't need any help getting spin up. When he's when he's awake, he's usually pretty pretty open, especially like in the evenings or whatever. Yeah. Out in the yard, he can get wound up real quick. I have to try to calm him down sometimes. Sometimes, like that's what we were talking about again, just the difference between him and Delta. So it's just about trying to keep him calmer. Yeah, and, and some some breedings you'll see a continuum from submissive to dominant, and a lot of the puppies will fall in between, and others, all the puppies kind of fall in the middle. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We've had very few with real dog, a full litter of real dominant type dogs. Right. Right. Most of most of ours are falling in the middle, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's where we want them. We want them not too submissive. We want them uh, calm, collective, not hyper. Yeah. So that's what we try to get. That's what we breed for. Yeah. If, if we got a dog that we want to breed because of its characteristics and its, its health is good, right? and it's a little bit on the high side, then we'll try to breed it to, to a female on the low side. Or, that's pretty cool. And really. try, to get, try to get a good mix in the right. middle. Right, right. And that's something, you know, because he'll even, both both him and, which, the, you know, Delta, they all do the, the same thing. And I'd never seen a dog, a, you know, a lab do this before. And I talked to you about it on the phone the other day. 
it's just the funniest thing. Something will be going on, and he'll just sit down and just look. And he'll just, like, he'll, you know, he can be running around, being a puppy, and then all of a sudden something will catch his attention. He'll just sit down and look, and it's like he's trying to figure it out. And it's just, yeah. it's some, it's like a level of intelligence that I, I'm not used to seeing in a dog. They make eye contact. He mm. makes eye contact with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's called focus. Yeah. He's, uh, and that's what you want to see in a dog. That's another characteristic you really want in your dog. Mm-hmm. It's focus because the more focus they have, the easier they are to train. Right, because that was like the first time that I took him uh, swimming in the pond we had behind our house. My uh, my friend had his retriever out there, and we were throwing the bumper to her, and she was swimming, and he was just sat down on a rock and was just watching her. <laughs> you know, and he he'd already he made him a little lap in the pond. He'd swam, you know, and then he just he was just watching her, and that I I had never seen a puppy do that before. And they, they learn from that, too. Mm-hmm. They learn from watching another dog. That's what we took last year. You know, Delta's so timid, we took her duck hunting, and she's scared to death to pick up a duck because she's such a little dog. She's right. like 40 pounds now, and she's full grown pretty much. And and uh, we took her with Annie, and it was yeah. like a light switch went off. Mm-hmm. And Annie's Ben's dog, and he uh, she was watching her, and competition got the best over and yeah. she started really doing well started after that. Started picking them up, yeah. Yeah, she watched another dog perform mm-hmm. and then she, she knew what she was supposed to do with that duck. And it's probably more a smell thing than anything else. Right. Because you you start dogs off on pigeons mm-hmm. and then you throw a duck out there they go sniff the duck and come straight back to you without the duck because they don't know that that's what they're supposed to pick up. Yeah, that's the first yeah. time I took her dove hunting. This is funny. It was I, funny. I was worried to death because the first 15 minutes we were there, we'd kill, I don't know, two or three doves. And Delta was just sitting there looking. I'm like, go ahead, go, go. And I'm like, what? I done got a dud. Jordan had and, this, <laughs> just the most distraught look on his face. And he was just like so worried, you know. And he was like, he looked over at me and he was like, I, I don't, I don't. I don't know, man. And then <laughs> I went and picked up a dove I shot and brought it back to her and let her smell of it and get comfortable with it. And after that, oh my goodness! It's like a light switch went off. Yeah. yeah as soon she as she like it the, was on. Oh yeah, when he when he did that, like when he did that, it was boom. She was out there. And probably she didn't know what you wanted her to do exactly. because she'd never been dove hunting yep, before. Yep. Is, once yeah, she figured no. it out that I wanted her to go out there and get that dove and come back. It was, yeah. I mean, like she'd been doing it forever. And yet she she was marking them and getting them right by the end of the day. How old was she, like five months? Yeah, she was six months old and seven months old. Yeah. I've seen young dogs that would, uh, and some older dogs too, you, you train with the dummy mm-hmm. and then you switch to a different kind of dummy and they didn't know that's what they were supposed to pick up. Yep. So they would go out there and smell out and come back and you throw it again. Once they picked it up, they were fine. Never had an issue again. But hmm. yeah, it's crazy the little things that make a difference in training a dog. And we had a dog that we had trained for a guy up in uh, Wisconsin. And the dog had picked up pigeons. The dog had picked up ducks. But the dog had never picked up a goose. Mm-hmm. And he said, well... The next opportunity I'm going to have to take her hunting is going to be for white geese, snow geese, mm-hmm. and blues in Missouri. And he said, uh, can we work on a goose? And I said, yeah, I got some white geese in the freezer. So I went and got one out, thought it. The next day we put it out sent her for it. Went out there, sniffed up, it came back, looked at us like, what was that? <laughs> and so what I do is I just walk down there with them, pick the goose up, and throw it a short distance. They go out there and sniff of it, come back, throw it again, throw it again, throw it again, patience. Mm-hmm. And once they pick that up, 
once that dog picked that goose up, it was on. Yeah. The war was on for geese. Then. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just sheer size and the difference in smell, I think there's a lot of things come into play with doves. A lot of times it's the feathers that come off so easy and right. get in their mouth that they don't want to pick up. Mm-hmm. Well, Delta's a dove dog. She that's her favorite. <laughs> she likes those doves. She likes a teal too. Yeah, she like. I think it comes. She's a small dog. Like Delta's r- r- really small for a full grown lab. She's you know she's not what seventeen, eighteen inches tall, twenty inches. I don't I don't know. She's not real big, but I think she's intimidated sometimes. But once she gets comfortable with something, it's she's fine with it. Yeah. She can pick a goose up just as well as a, as a hundred pound dog. Oh, she did. Be, yeah. She, yeah, she, she did. She did. Wear out yeah. a snow goose. It's the funniest <laughs> thing. The goose is bigger than she is. It's a, yeah. It's a, she did. She picked up one. Uh, yeah, like in January. I don't know. Yeah, it was a guy called me the other day, and he said, uh, "I want one that weighs seventy-five to hundred pounds." And I said, "Well, you're in the wrong place. Because <laughs> we don't have seventy-five to hundred pound labs. Ours are gonna be." 45, 55, maybe 60, right. and occasionally a 65. Is that the, you're talking about size, is that like the original size of a lab is 50 to 70 pounds? I mean, pretty much so in overseas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, that's about what the average is over there now. I mean, I've seen labs, some of them 120 pounds, and it's big yeah. suckers. And this guy said, you know, I duck hunt in Florida, and the reeds down there are real thick. And I need a great big strapping dog that can bust through those reeds. I said, you never stop to think that a small dog has an easier time going through them than a large dog. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. He said, never thought about that. I tell you what, with Delta size too, one thing I've noticed I loved about her size is when she, you want her to load into a boat or back a truck or something, you just grab her and toss her in there. I mean, she don't weigh nothing. That's the good thing about it. And she She's don't not going to turn the boat over, is she? And she don't eat near as much either. <laughs> yeah. Golly. And the thing is, too, I mean, if you're hunting out of a boat or a dog stand or whatever, would you rather pick up a 50-pounder or a 75- to 100-pounder? I won't pick up a 50. <laughs> At my age, 50 is a lot more palatable to my muscle yeah. and bone structure than a 100, 125-pound yeah. lab. Um, so one thing I like I know I want to ask um, – so when if if people are in a situation whether they're bringing or what, like a situation like mine like I'm gonna bring Knox back to you when he hits six months old, uh, when they when people bring a dog to you what what do you what do y'all put them through what what's the the training regimen I guess that y'all they all put a dog through? It, in many ways it's the same, in many ways it's different. Right. But we either start with with sit, mm-hmm. and and then move to heel. And, you know, at the same time, going with here. Right. And after that, we'll, we'll give them a, one or two retrieves a day. Marks. And as soon as, they're, as soon as they're going out, picking up, bringing straight back to us, we move on to what they call in this country a ladder drill, but I call it an unknown. I put uh, three white bumpers out and an orange bumper. And the white bumpers may be 10, 20, 30, with an orange at 40. And I send that young dog, he can see the white bumpers. Mm-hmm. So he goes out, picks the white bumper up, comes back, line him up again, send him. If he stops short and comes back, we move up a little. Because mm-hmm. we don't ever want the dog to be unsuccessful. We don't train for failure. We train for success. Right. And 
once he gets through the white bumpers, then we send him for the orange. And and the thing about the orange, dogs can't see that. Really? Right. I didn't know that. Yeah, so, I'd heard that so before. What you're going to have is is three unknowns. He's the pup has not seen anything thrown. They're already laying on the ground. We go back and get him out of the kennel after we place them, bring him out, and send him for the unknowns. Well, the last one is a blind because he can't see right. orange. Right. So the last one goes from the unknown sequence to a blind sequence. So they're getting an early start on blind retrieves. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting there. Yeah. And then we move from there, we move to trailing memories and circle memories. A trailing memory is where we walk the dog out, drop a dummy, walk back to the starting point, sit the dog beside us, and then send the dog for the trailing memory. And we start moving those out. 10, 15, 20 yards at a time to we're out to 150 yards or so. Right. And then we'll come back to marks and and let the dog improve on its marking ability somewhat. Yeah. And from there we go to uh, push-pull or pull-push, ever how you want to look at it. And what we do there is we have the dog sit out, remain steady, we walk back, throw a dummy over his head behind it, call it to us with the whistle, mm-hmm. and then stop it with the whistle and send it back. So you get you get a steadiness drill, you get a stop on the whistle drill, you get a hear drill, you get all of that out of there. Right. Of course, there's a lot more steps in between right, right. that we go through on steadiness. Yeah. On typical getting it to that point, how long does that take? With Usually about two months. A, yeah. a two-month deal there, yeah. every day training or five days yeah. a week? Yeah, except the days when the lightning is really bad and I don't train in lightning. Okay. Right. I got, don't have much hair left now, and I don't want to dress that burned off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I've, I've picked up on, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, a lot of these things that you're doing, they seem to be based around making sure the dog's confidence is kept up. Right. Because I heard you made a remark about you never let the dog be unsuccessful. Right. Is that that's obviously something you think is very important? I think it's absolutely important. No doubt about it. No two ways about it. That dog has to build confidence, but it's not only building confidence; it's building trust in the handler. Right. When I tell the dog to go, I want the dog to be successful. Right. And come back, and then he said, "Well, this old buzzer knows what he's talking about." <laughs> and another way we we build trust is I have a little circle of grass. And I throw a tennis ball in there, and the dog retrieves, and I'll do that for several days. And uh, then I'll throw the tennis ball in and have my assistant pick it up and send the dog in mm-hmm. and make it hunt, hunt, make it stay within that circle hunting. And it can't find it because it's not there. Right. And when it turns it turns around facing away from me, I drop the ball in the grass. Hunt dead, hunt dead, hunt dead. The dog finds the ball, and what's... What's the dog's reaction? Oh, People might disagree with me on this, but I know. He's happy. No, he's trusting me because he said, that old buzzard knows where to send me and I'm going to find my reward to that retrieve. Makes, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. Because that's not only building the dog's confidence in himself, it's building confidence in you. Yeah. Yeah. So what we call trust. Right. The dog trusts me if I send it out, it's going to find something that's going to bring it back. What's the dog's reward every time? The retrieve. Okay. Yeah. That's why I usually give one or two marks or one or two little trailing mm-hmm. memories uh-huh. as we progress through basic obedience. Is that's his reward for performance that night. Right. Oh, uh, what about like treats or something when you, a dog does what you want him to? 
do you give a dog a treat or his like, treat is the retreat that's it the retreat okay yeah. that way that way what are you building when you're building when, drive right because okay. the dog wants that retrieve so bad yeah and you're building confidence yeah so you you're make that trust you make the retrieve yeah. to his wishbone yeah. Right. Because I've heard that before, too. I've heard of folks training retrieving on treats or training obedience, like come, like here with treats and stuff like that. That's You don't believe in that. If you do it with treats, what, what have you got to do in the long run? Got to wean it off of treats. Right, right. Okay. We were Makes discussing sense. that on the way up yeah. here, just wondering. Because I never gave Delta anything when she was a puppy, and I thought it was just because to keep her from begging at the table. <laughs> and it works on that because she doesn't yeah. pay attention to you when you're eating at the table at yeah. night but that makes more yeah. sense the retrieve is his reward because yeah. basically what all this boils down to is me and jordan don't know what we're doing yeah so <laughs> so we ask you <laughs> i ain't got a clue yeah i get in that boat sometimes myself i have to really stop and think about when a problem surfaces how am i gonna solve this problem right yeah and uh, you know there's there's a lot that goes in between. If you sit here and you talked about everything that goes in b- between training sessions, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you'd be here for a month or two. <laughs> how how often do you do you see um, their dogs brought in or, or or anything whatever? Do you see where the the pro you know if someone's having a problem, how more often than not is the handler the problem more so than the dog? Normally about a hundred percent of the time, <laughs> <laughs> at least ninety nine percent. I believe that because like uh, like look, Jordan can attest for this. I'm probably I, I'm among the world's worst worriers, and I've worried Jordan to death already asking him questions because I you know I just I'm like man, what if I do something wrong and I mess that you know I mess that puppy up? And Jordan's like man, just follow what that manual says and you'll be fine, you know. And uh, that's you know the main thing you want to you don't want to do is to keep doing the same thing wrong over and over right. and over again because mm-hmm. then you've conditioned in a habit right. that's wrong. And from six weeks to six months, if you condition in a bad habit, you may suppress it, but you'll never eliminate it. Right. And my wife is the worst in the world about, she'll probably kill me for this, <laughs> about <laughs> conditioning yeah. in a habit. Uh. And I'll give you an example. I had an old dog, a really nice old dog, named Rocky. He was a British lamb, 100% British. But every day she would go out and cut the water hose on and squirt him while he was in his kennel. And he just loved to get squirted with the water hose. He looked forward to that more so than a retrieve. So he got six months old, and this is many years ago, and I, I took him over to my buddy's place. He was going to assist me in training him. <laughs> He's puppy dreaming over there. He called me and he said, what in the, whatever you have you done to this dog? I said, what are you talking about? He said, every time we try to clean the kennel, he goes nuts <laughs> and gets my kennel cleaners all wet. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's not me, that's my wife. And he said, well, we'll train it out. Hmm. So train it out, he did, or so he thought. I could go over there, they cut the hose on, wash his kennel down, he'd sit there and never move. Picked him up to bring him back home. Took him, put him in his kennel. My wife walked out there with the hose in her hand, and he went berserk. <laughs> so it was suppressed, but right. it sure wasn't eliminated. Right. And I, I use that example of things that you don't go do wrong as you're raising a puppy. Right. And they carry over into the training sessions, and we can correct them. 
But as soon as he gets back home, it's gonna probably resurface. What's uh? Is there any main thing you see? Over yeah, like over common again? mistakes you see people make. Yeah, the main one is sitting there throwing a dummy over and over and over and over and over. And as soon as the pup runs by, jerking it out of his mouth, and next thing you know, the pup is dropping the dummy when he comes back, just kind of throwing it to your feet. Mm-hmm. And so now you've created a steadiness problem and a hold problem. You want that dog to hold because that dummy until he You heals. want that dog to be restrained until you tell it to go. You don't want him just to run by and throw the dummy again, let him go, let him go, let mm-hmm. him go, bring it back, throw it down at my feet. Yeah. Now you got to go through conditioned hold to get him to hold the dummy and deliver right. it to hand, and then you've got to start working on steadiness. And if they've done that too many times, you can suppress it. You can't get it but out. But you never get it completely out. Sooner yeah. or later, it's going to resurface. Yeah. Because that's, is that, that's probably why that, like that manual says only give them one to two retrieves a day. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing with him. One to two a day, and then we're done. That builds a little prey drive without overworking the dog, without the dog getting bored. Yeah. And uh, you're certainly not building in a breaking problem. And right. You're not building in a uh, dropping problem right uh, makes sense if if the puppy drops one time the next time he comes back just walk away from him a little bit and he's gonna hold the dummy and come to you yeah and that reinforces the whole command right so that he knows to hold until it's delivered mm-hmm. and when he delivers to you just rub him under the chin don't rub him on top of the head and say good boy rub him on top of the head what are you doing forcing his head down right 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 if you if you rub him on the chin, you're forcing his head up, and that's what you want him to do. You want him to come back, sit by your side, and raise his head up and present the dummy or present the bird. That, right. that makes sense. It does right? make sense, yeah. It's so, interesting. But it's a, it's a jillion little things like that out yeah. there that you can do that most people don't think of and uh, <laughs> go yeah. down the wrong road. So if you can get them to six months without completely screwing them up, right. bring them to you, you work on that. <laughs> bring them in and I'll screw them up. <laughs> that's, that's what George, because again, Jordan was like, just just keep the puppy happy and don't completely screw them up and Mr. Bill take care of them. Yeah. <laughs> but I have, I have, I've been trying to do, I've been following that manual, which I thought was really cool. I've never... I've had, you know, the uh, I've never had a dog, you know, or a hunting dog where I get a, a manual like that to follow given to me when I got the puppy. That, so that's something really cool that y'all do over here. Well, it's like buying a car. You get a user's manual. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You got to learn how to turn the steering wheel, how to put it in gear, how to put the emergency brake on, how to take it off. Yeah. Same thing with a dog. Yeah. You just kind of learn the, the basic for a puppy. Right, yeah. I'm still, I'm, I'm having a blast trying, you know, learning him and watching him. At this age, man, I feel like he's growing a foot a day. He's growing so fast. and uh, But, man, he's been fun. He's fixing to go into a sure enough growing spurt. I tell you what he's doing is he's getting fast. <laughs> like, used to, you know, when I throw him a, you know, throw him a retrieve or something, I'd toss it to him and he'd do that little bit of puppy bounce. Now he's getting a little bit of legs under him. He can move. <laughs> it's funny. Speed is picking up. His oh, legs yeah. are longer. He can take a longer yeah. stride. Mm-hmm. Golly, it's funny. He's a he's a pretty little pup too. He is, he is that. He's a. I'm just eager to see, you know, because the way that is, uh, the time of year that he was born, and by the time of year I'm gonna be able to get him back to you, he's like gonna be able to hunt some this duck season. Yeah. So. And a lot of people will tell you, a lot of trainers, even 
the low force trainers to tell you don't hunt them until they're two years old, don't hunt them until 18 months old. Right. But I think they need a hunting season under belt to solidify everything they've been taught in mm-hmm. training. Right. And once they go hunting and they're, they're kept steady and they release only on command and things like that, that really sets them on fire. Then they're really yeah. eager to learn, but they're still going to be steady. They're not going to whine. They're not going to bark. You ever been on a duck blind with a dog that barks and whines oh, the whole yeah. time? I think in we there? all have oh. at some point <laughs> Dog, it breaks when you shoot, flares yeah. the ducks. Oh, yeah. I think everyone's had that experience. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't want to You don't want to start that. Mm-hmm. And the way you do it, you know, first time you go hunting, you might want your buddy to shoot, just you and your buddy. And your buddy shoots, and you stand there and work the dog, restrain the dog. Don't let him make every retrieve. Let him make every other retrieve, mm-hmm. every third retrieve, and then come mm-hmm. back and let him make a short retrieve, let him yeah. make a longer retrieve. A lot of trainers tell you don't let them make short retrieves, but I like a good mix. I like short, medium, and right. long. Yeah. I don't want all shorts because I'm going to build in a threshold. Right. But I don't want and I don't want all longs because I don't want him leaving the blind thinking he's going to get a long retrieve right. every time yeah. and run past the bird that he's after. Yeah. So... A good mix is a good rule of thumb. Yeah. All, it all seems like common sense stuff, but stuff that would get overlooked easily. Uh, one more question I have on a say you've got a adult dog, but you're you know you still throw on bumpers every day or whatever, and working on steadiness, of course. How many is too many as far as throwing bumpers or whatever? Is there any set number on that? Or no, it- just don't. Just make sure you don't overdo it, you know. How do you, I mean, that's what I'm asking. How do you know when you This time of year, you know when you overdo it because yeah, it's so high. the end of the tongue is going to curl and turn red and you're going to be panting okay. and it's time to quit. So it's just, you just pretty much don't get the dog overheated, but they'll go right. as long as they'll go. Yeah. How long do you keep up the one to two throws a day? We do that for probably the first month. Even so, even then, when he brings we, them in at six months, yeah. still, and then we start transitioning to gunfire and dummy launchers, mm-hmm. and uh, we still give him maybe only three or four a day. Hmm. Interesting. And then a couple of, if I start with the mark, I end with a trailer memory or a circle memory. If I start with the circle memory or trailer memory, I end with the mark. Yeah. That's mixing it up. Right. So the pup does not get used to doing the same thing mm-hmm. over and over yeah. and over again. So kind of less, less is more deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know for sure. And and don't make haste. Take your time. Go slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't overtax the dog. Don't go beyond the dog. Be careful not to go beyond the dog's abilities. Okay. Because then you're training to fail instead of training to succeed. Right. And if... The first time the dog fails to do something, back up. Mm-hmm. If it's a retrieve, shorten the retrieve and then lengthen it back out. That's very interesting. I never thought about that it that way. That is interesting. Yeah. I just get frustrated when she doesn't do what I want to. <laughs> like, ah, it's your fault. So you're, this is <laughs> yeah, your, sometimes your, I get worse than that. <laughs> you're, you're one of those perfect examples, Jordan, where the handler is the issue, not oh, the dog. 100, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I never claimed to know what I was doing. Because I've known I know Delta well enough to know she's a very smart dog. If she tries to do anything you want, if she can figure out what you want her to do, she's going to do it. I think we have a language barrier, too, because she's British. Yeah. She can't he's British, understand. and he's big country. He's got too much slang. Yeah. Well, I've seen enough 
results that come out of Mossy Oak Kennels. I know I'm, I'm going to try to the best of my abilities to do exactly what you, that puppy manual and our phone conversations you've told me to do before I drop them back off here at six months. But um, anyhow, Mr. Bill, thank you for your time today. I know you're a busy guy, so we won't hold you any longer. But um, I think that's going to be all. Jordan, you got anything else? This, y'all got a website for Mossy yeah. Oak Kennels? Yeah, Mossy Oak Kennels. MossHelpGamekeeperKennels.com, but it also comes up under Moss Oak Kennels. Right. right. The only difference is that the Moss Oak Kennels in North Carolina or someplace on the East Coast that deals in coon hounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're looking for a lab, that's not the right one. <laughs> yeah. It was a pleasure, Mr. Yeah. Bill. It was. And, and when we put this podcast up, we'll link them to your website. And, uh, guys, Moss Oak Gamekeeper Kennels, they also have an Instagram page, a Facebook all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, we're going to sign off for today. Mr. Bill, thank you all again. Um, and if you all have any questions on this, on this dog-related stuff, um, you can send them in just like you all do the regular questions, and we will get yeah, we'll get them answered one way or another. We'll, we'll definitely – me and Jordan won't answer them because, again, we don't know what we're doing, but we'll relay them <laughs> to Mr. Bill or somebody that knows what's going on. But as always, guys, thank you all for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.